Hello CBF. Hope all of us are doing well and we praise God for this awesome time of worship. Uh, last few weeks we have been hearing from God's word and God has been speaking to us as a church from the book of Habakkuk and uh, from the life of King Hezekiah over the last two weeks. And the Lord has been specifically speaking to us on how to uh, look at trials and what we need to do and how we can rejoice and how we can press ahead by faith during those trials. The Lord had similarly laid on my heart too about three weeks back on the same theme. And so we praise God in the way in which he leads each one of us, even when we did not know what were the topics that are going to be spoken. This morning as a continuation to what the Lord has laid uh, and what we have heard over the last two weeks, I want to ask and answer the question, how can we have a victorious life in the midst of trials? How can we have a victorious life in the midst of, in the, in the midst of trials? Or in other words, how can I live above the circumstances during trials of different kinds? And for this, we will seek uh, answers to some of these questions, basic questions, and most of you have been through this in some way or the other. And it will be from James chapter 1 verses 2 to 8. James chapter 1 verses 2 to 8. Now before we jump into the passage, I would want to lay down some background of this letter. Now the book of James is sometimes dubbed as practical Christianity or hands-on Christianity. It really is a book that dives into actions without much theory. It is also known as the Proverbs of the New Testament. Now, many of us relate to this book simply because it is straightforward and it is practical in nature. Now, James at the core in this book highlights that faith is the root of our salvation and works are the fruit of our salvation. When I think of James, uh, I think of the mathematical function called integration. And uh, he appeals to an integration of two different aspects of life. It's an appeal to an integration of your walk and your talk. It is an appeal to your integration of, 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 of the integration of your creed and your conduct. It is, it is an integration that is, uh, that is focused from belief and behavior and how both of them need to align. It is a match of doctrine and your duty. They must be one. And in fact, this is the very uh, you know, foundation from which we get the word integrity. It has to align. Two different spheres have to align. Now, there is an emphasis in James on being a doer of the word rather than just a hearer of the word. Now, as James uh, begins this passage, you can sense his humility. He could have easily pulled the ranks, claiming that he was uh, the half-brother of Jesus, that Jesus and me grew up together. We, uh, I knew him at the back of my hand. I did not believe him till the time of resurrection. He could have said all of that. But instead, what he does is he introduces himself as a bond servant, as a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is very important as he, as he um, begins this context. Now James writes this book to a church that was scattered after persecution, uh, broke out against them in Jerusalem, right? He's not writing these in a vacuum or randomly. We get some insights on this group he's writing to from Acts chapter 8 verse 1, where we see the spiritual law of thermodynamics, namely greater the heat, 
greater the expansion. The church has to expand beyond Jerusalem and God in his sovereignty has allowed them to be persecuted so that they will leave Jerusalem and move out of their comfort zones and go into Judea, Samaria and the outer parts of the world. It was all in plan and yet imagine how these people were moved out of their comfort zones. A group of people who might have been wondering, wow, I followed God. I sacrificed much. I was kicked out of my Jewish family because I believe in Jesus, the Messiah. And here we are in this difficult situation. And James writes this letter. So if I time travel uh, and maybe have uh, coffee with James uh, and I ask him this question on how can we live above our circumstances during our trials, what would he say? When we are confused, when we wonder where we are going, when we are thinking about what's going to happen next, what about my job, what about my family, my marriage, my loved ones, James would exactly tell us what he wrote here in chapter 1, verses 2 to 8. And he tells like this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So the first major advice that James would tell us to navigate trials would be to first reframe your perspective. Reframe your perspective. So you see from verse 2 to 4, James is actually saying that our attitudes is the first thing that needs attention. He asks us to reframe our perspective by ingraining two solid truths about trials. And this must be in our hearts and in our minds, else it else it is going to be hard. So number one, he says, the first solid truth that he talks about is trials are inevitable. He's completely aware. James was completely aware of what a trial can do to a man or a woman and the negativity it can lead to. James reminds us here that trials are not a matter of if, it is just a matter of when. All of humanity wants to experience a smooth life, isn't it? I mean, who doesn't? At least I do. But in a fallen world, we, where we'll experience flat tires, living with that kind of expectation would, is bound to lead to severe dis disappointment and, and misery. You know, many of us were indirectly indoctrinated with uh, two key tickets. Uh, the first ticket is get out of hell ticket. And the second ticket is pain-free life. These two tickets are not the gospel. We've, we have indirectly got the message that if you do well, um, if you obey God, you all, only good will come and no harm will befall us types. Just pursue God, you know, and things will be all good. Does the scripture actually teach us that? That whoever does God's will has a wonderful pain-free life? Hmm. Okay, let's see. Let me think about Jesus. Jesus did... God's will absolutely perfectly, in fact. Hmm. And he died. Okay, let's think about the apostles. All the apostles minus one were martyred and all of them died. And all these deaths were not normal deaths. They were probably cruel deaths. They were cruel deaths. And so 
when we look at you know matching these two god's will and smooth life are two equations that don't tally isn't it so jesus in fact promised us that in this world you will have trials and tribulations by the, by the way that's not something that's not a promise that we usually hold on to but he doesn't stop there right jesus says be of good cheer for i have overcome the world dear family of god james is telling us that if we have to navigate through trials we need to reframe our perspective that life is supposed to be good when we are very close to god is kind of the wrong thing we live in a fallen world many people have the attitude of entitlement as if god owes them something uh like for the for the, for the life of sacrifice that we are living god you must give me all this pain free the, the pain free life you know we live in a broken system where bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people until our final redemption or salvation this is going to continue not only that we're going to have trials of various kinds these trials could be physical social mental um spiritual psychological it is inevitable that all of us will go through are already going through various types of trials extreme work pressures isn't it job loss a terrible boss uh loss of a loved one uh, a health crisis for you for for your children for your spouse uh some of those things that get out of control some of our spouses say that we are the trials uh you know and you know we have those struggles we have strained relationships in family in in church and in, in our schools and offices this is all part and parcel of a broken world they are inevitable instead of being surprised or overwhelmed um you know if you have a calm expectation that trials are normal and they are part of our sanctification process and journey here on earth we could face it better than living in denial so during that uh, coffee session in the first 10 minutes uh, james would tell us that in order to navigate our trials well we need to first reframe our perspective by having the view number one that trials are inevitable now that does not mean that we long for trials or we sign up for trials if any of you do the elders are taking appointments please go meet up with them but trials are just normal and expect this as in 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 the regular course of life the second solid truth that james says uh, to reframe our perspective is to let us know that trials are purposeful trials are purposeful you know in the normal course of any trial by default every human being generally goes on a negative tangent we lose hope we get dejected uh, we question why it happened we question why me um and uh, why not someone else right i remember once when i was in my 7th grade i was standing in my school assembly and you know the regular school assemblies uh you know we have all those uh, you know uh, recitations and and the principal speaking and then we are supposed to stand at one arm distance and this was in the middle east it was scorching hot and i was listening to my principal speaking uh, and uh, while i was listening you know something i felt something wet um on my back and i was wondering hmm and in that scorching heat you know that wetness was not comfortable it was not refreshingly cool either and uh, i turned behind and when i looked back i just realized what happened the my classmate uh, who was standing in one arm distance to me you know just uh, threw up 
and baffed <laughs> on, on on me and i was like what why why now why not someone else and and that's what trials do right they come so unexpectedly when you don't expect it but in the normal course <coughs> they can really take us downhill james is not is 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 actually exhorting us not to see trials based on what you see on the outside he in fact he he in fact asks us to consider doing something very counterintuitive he exhorts us or accounts uh, he exhorts us to account or reckon the trial as pure joy or as the root word expressed here a calm delight or to be exceedingly joyful when you encounter trials of various kinds now i might stare at james during that conversation and i'll give him that look like are you crazy um and i think he would calmly tell me and probably just pat on my back and say you know lijo that might sound bizarre but what he'll actually say is trials have an incredible benefit and considering the benefit that it brings in he is asking us not to embrace the default negative tangent that many of us usually get on as followers of jesus james is asking us to count the future gain more than the current temporary discomfort he is asking us to count the future gain more than the current temporary discomfort and the reason he gives is that because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance now this test is designed to develop something in a man or a woman that is not present in full measure yet and what is intended to develop here it's a simple it's the quality of perseverance or long suffering or patience or in root words it, it's it's a military word it's to stand well under duress or stress it's hupomeno right in 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 greek this these tests actually will reveal our character where we really stand you see you see when when things go well you know all is calm all is bright there is nothing and i am i'm all composed but when things go ne- negative the real character the real us comes out the snappy one the short tempered the tantrum the explosions you name it we have all been through it and we all go through it in in, in various forms the lord is going to reveal to us that there is work left and through this testing we get to know how much we need him and how much we lack the quality of patience and he's asking us james is asking us to rejoice considering that prospect the future prospect that patience is getting developed this is a process and it cannot be shortened perseverance must finish its work and therefore the real goal of a trial is that it produces spiritual maturity that's the end goal so be joyful in what it will produce in the end now many of us uh, would have heard about thomas alva edison uh, this prolific inter- uh, inventor uh, had about 1000 plus patents he was born in ohio in the us was homeschooled by his mother he was deaf from the age of 12 uh, we might remember his in- invention of the incandescent light but as an inventor he did more he developed more devices such as the electric power generation uh, mass communication sound recording motion pictures and therefore he had a real widespread impact uh, in our modern world even today right he he, he was actually a remarkable man 
Now, his son Charles Edison recounts a very specific incident. Uh, I think it was back in 1914. I can't remember the date. And it's just such an example of the power of a frame of mind that, or, or an attitude that is so positive. You know, one December evening, the cries of fire uh, echoed through this plant. Uh, the, it's called the Edison plant. It had multiple buildings. But this one plant had multiple buildings, which, uh, and, and there was this one plant, uh, one building that had uh, films and uh, a lot of these chemical stuff in that room. And uh, this one just exploded uh, and it was, it went on a massive fire. All the flammable goods just uh, engulfed in fire. And this fire was so high, so big that it went up to 100 feet high and it required nine fire engines to be called from different uh, uh, counties or neighborhood areas to come in and kind of douse the fire. Now, Charles Edison, who's his son, was standing there wondering if everything is okay and he couldn't find his father, right? And he was concerned. He was wondering, is my dad safe? You know, with all these assets going up in smoke, you know, would, would his spirit be broken? Because, uh, you know, Thomas Alva Edison was a hard worker, right? And, uh, and then he, you know, from that, from that, you know, uh, dark area there, Charles sees his father running towards him, uh, you know, and then asking him, hey, where's mom? Where's mom? And, you know, Charles was like, maybe back at home. Yeah, but just go get her. Uh, tell, uh, call all her friends. This is one of the best fires that they will ever see in their lifetime. Can you believe that? He tells them to call them quickly to see this fire when all his assets all that he has worked so hard is getting burnt up. Now, rather than saying, oh God, what did I do to deserve this? Here's an unbeliever, a 67-year-old man uh, who decided to say, let's call everyone and watch this fire because there's nothing that I can do about it. Now, the story does not end there. It took till, you know, morning 5.30, the, the next day morning 5.30, when the fire was barely under control. And he called all his employees together. In some form, he, he communicated with them that we are rebuilding. 7,000 of them reported back to work the next day. The damage was pegged at about 7 million US, USD uh, dollars and the insurance just covered $2. But in three weeks time, the entire building was partially restored and his employees went back to work. Later on, Thomas Edison explained this. And this is very interesting. You can always make capital out of disaster. We have just cleared out a bunch of old rubbish. We will build bigger and better on these ruins. With that, in the morning, you know, he had his white coat, right? He rolled up that coat um, and, uh, you know, used it for a pillow and slept. And can you imagine that sleeping after one of the most magnanimous events of fire, of tragedy, uh, you know, in their life, the assets that were lost? Sleeping through a trial, isn't that what we long for? If an unbeliever like Thomas Edison had that much perspective, how much more we who know the end game, we know what is happening. So in response to the first question, how do I navigate through trials? The scripture asks us to reframe our perspective and not, and not to see it like the world sees it. And if you do not, know, do not know how, he reminds us two solid truths to reframe. One is that trials are inevitable. And number two, trials are purposeful. One of the practical steps that I can recommend to change our perspective is to get more exposed to, to, to two specific attributes of God. Uh, one would be 
the goodness of God and the sovereignty of God. These two, uh, please keep reviewing in different seasons of your life. Uh, remember that we all grew up with this background of God that uh, that he's an angry God, that he always is disappointed with us and that we got to buck up. And there is always that, um, you know, that cosmic policeman view. And that's not a whole view. If we look at the gospel and we look at the cross, we see a balance of all his attributes, his holiness, his justice, but also his goodness and grace that flows out. And so this is very important for us to consider. Getting an accurate view of God is, 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 is important to navigate trials and to reframe our perspective. Now, the follow-up question that I would want to ask James uh, during our uh, continued coffee time is, uh, uh, what if some trials become very overwhelming? And it just refuses to go away. Now James would say, glad you asked. And I'm, and without skipping a beat, he would say from verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect anything to be received from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So what is James saying here? James is saying during trials, he's actually asking us to um, for, for trials that do not sense, uh, tend to go away and it overwhelms you. He's asking us to humble ourselves or humble yourself and seek wisdom. This is very similar to what he says in James chapter 5 verse 13. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Sometimes the shortcuts we take during difficult times are primarily based on the world systems. It is what our friends or close ones advise. Usually it is filled with earthly wisdom. We think that everyone else is doing all this stuff in a crisis and that is exactly what I need to do. You see, we must come to the end of ourselves, end of our wisdom, admitting our weakness, admitting our inability that we cannot do it on our own. And we must seek wisdom from God on how to navigate to the next step. Now, what can we expect when we approach this God for wisdom? James banks heavily, heavily on God's goodness and tells us that he will give it generously to all without finding fault in them. What a God we have, isn't it? We could have messed up before the trial or even during the trial. It does not matter. But when we humble ourselves and depend on God and look up to Him for wisdom, then our past performance does not stop Him from giving us what we need for the next steps during a trial. He will give simply because He is good and that is His nature. He's extremely generous. Now, there is a caveat here. While God is good, while he is very generous, and he will grant us wisdom when we ask how to navigate during a trial, there is a condition to this provision. The condition is that we must believe and not doubt. Now, that does not mean that we, have, we, we do not have any iota of doubt. Genuine doubts might exist in the life of a believer, just like Mary had. You know, when she got the news from the angel regarding the announcement of the Messiah coming into the world through her. You know, so it's not about doubts. Basically, James is implying here that you cannot check out multiple options 
You cannot go on with your plan and keep God's plan as one of the backups or the last resort. Essentially, we must trust God to the point of obedience, whatever the cost. And so what James is actually saying is, if anyone goes with a divided mind to God, deciding to skip or keep it as optional, what, what God will ask us to do, James says, be assured, you will receive nothing. You will receive nothing from the Lord. In fact, a person with such a dual mind will not only suffer during the trial, it will make him unstable in various other spheres of his life during that trial. Like a pack of dominoes, a lot of the other things will also begin to get affected during the trial. So when you come to God and you are struggling and you're wondering what to do and you're perplexed, you know, whatever he shows you, you and I must be submitted and ready and committed to do whatever he's going to ask us to do. A divided mind is a terrible state to be in. The external symptoms of a divided mind are anxiety, are depression, there is a lack of peace, there is turbulence within, there is turbulence also uh, outside, you know, within homes, within our offices, and it leads to a lot of eventual instability. And James says, nah, nah, approach God for wisdom, humble yourself, be committed to do what he's asking us to do. What are the minimal practical steps we can take uh, to get the wisdom of God? I think in advance, you and I must engage in his word so that the Holy Spirit can speak to me through the raw material of the word of God when I seek wisdom. Uh, many people seek God's will usually during uh, tumultuous times or times when they need to make a decision. Until then, God is in the back door. Right Now you want to get married, for example. Oh, I just get out into reading scripture. And the problem with that kind of, um, you know, uh, an approach is that you know, they have already chosen a partner. Now, when they read the scripture, they are, everything that they read from the scripture is all pointing out to that one person that they have, they have already in mind. So that might not be a great way to approach the word of God. We must do it in advance. Number two, we must also do what we already know, what God has already revealed to us. It means that when I need to forgive someone, I need to forgive someone. When I, I don't let it linger. When I need to say sorry, or when you and I need to say sorry, we need to say sorry. We need to humble ourselves and apologize. When I need to pay my taxes, I need to pay my taxes. When I need to do my work, I need to do my work faithfully, whether I receive a promotion or not. It is not by, it is by faith doing good or doing the right things when you don't feel like doing it. That is pure obedience. So remember, when God is, go, you know, when you're going through a trial, God is eagerly waiting to give you and me the wisdom to navigate the next step in the trial. Why? Because he's good. But if you are not wholeheartedly committed to follow what he's going to reveal or what he has already revealed, then no wisdom will be given. Obedience is the key to hanging in there and living about the circumstances during a trial. Now, just in passing, from the scripture, um, this is an overall view. We can get three major ways in which God helps us um, in a trial. Number one, God delivers us out of a trial. Uh, just like Daniel was delivered out of the lion's den. By the way, uh, den, by, by the way, this is the default way in which we should be praying whenever we go through a trial. But sometimes God does not deliver us out of the trial. Sometimes God delivers us through the trial. This is what Paul experienced when he uh, had a thorn in the flesh. And he prayed like in the first step, right? Lord, deliver me out of the trial. He 
Ask that three times. And God said, no. And God said, his grace is sufficient uh, for Paul. And so in his weakness, God's uh, strength will be made, uh, uh, his strength will be made perfect. So he gives grace during a trial. So we are supposed to go through the trial. And lastly, sometimes God delivers us unto himself. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Sometimes the trials end only when he calls his children to himself. Dear brothers and sisters, how do we live about the circumstances during a trial? Number one, reframe your perspective by being aware that trials are inevitable and trials are purposeful. Number two, humble yourself and seek God's wisdom and be 100% committed to obey what he's going to ask you to do. He will give you strength. You and I will have ups and downs in the short temporary life. But with Jesus, we will be able to experience peace in the midst of a trial. He asks us to be of good cheer for he has overcome the world. We need to engage in community to build and encourage one another during trials. We need to share how the Lord has led each other in the past and we can hang in there. And during that process, our character will develop and that will reflect Jesus Christ who will be made known to an unbelieving world through us. Hang in there, dear brothers and sisters. The Lord is with you and in you. Jesus will hold us through the storm. Amen.